if you really want something, if you really want a certain lifestyle, you just keep going until you get there, right? But one thing that always stuck with me too is I heard a phrase, I think it was from my friend, where as entrepreneurs, we only have to be right once. We could fail a hundred times, but the hundred and first business takes off and does well. Everyone's going to look at that. Oh, wow, that guy, that, that business does well, but they're not going to see the hundred other failed attempts at, of businesses that didn't do well. I just have to keep going, keep thinking and keep moving along. This is the Fit Investor Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more holistic life of being fit, not only financially, but physically and faithfully. We'll be joined by experts in all these areas to share their experiences and actionable and practical tips so that you can be a fit investor too. So now let's join our hosts, Kale Delaney and Brenna Carls. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Fit Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Kale Delaney, here with Brenna Speed Racer Carls. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Maybe we can hear about that, Brenna, if you want to share. But. <laughs> And uh, today we have, uh, today our special guest is Casey Carlin. Casey is the founder of Short-Term Rental Investors, LC, the property manager, real estate investing coach. His real estate investing company buys ugly houses and vacation markets and turns them into unique and creative spaces, focusing on nice, family-friendly and affordable stays. He also helps other short-term rental hosts grow their portfolios and achieve financial freedom, time freedom, and location freedom. Through his property management company, he also manages short-term rental units for property owners who don't have the time to be full-time hosts. In less than a year, his companies have purchased $3 million in real estate, managed multiple units in over six different locations, helped dozens of investors come closer to financial freedom, and more. In his youth, he served a two-year mission trip in northern Germany, where he found his passion for learning new cultures and languages, creating fun experiences while, having, while being away from home, where he currently resides in Southern California. He's married to a beautiful wife, Shayla, has two young boys, McKay and Liam, and two dogs. And today, we're going to hear about his various passions, including his passion for entrepreneurship, fitness, and faith. So with that, Mr. Casey, welcome to The Fit Investor. Thank you so much, you guys. I, yeah, once I heard you drop the, the topic about your podcast, I was like, oh, that'd be a really interesting one. And one that I always thought would be really cool to be on. So it's a pleasure to be on here today. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. So like we were talking about off, offline before this, and also just for our audience, you know, Casey is also an author in the Hospitable Host 2 book, which if you're looking online, you can see right behind him there as well. But uh, he has an interesting background and story of, particularly in regards to his entrepreneurship journey, which we wanted to explore a little bit. So we just want to open it up to you, Casey, if you can take us back a little bit and just tell us a little bit about your background and your journey and take us through those business experiences to where you are now. Gotcha. Yeah, I would love to do that. To take it back, yeah, like you said in the bio, I'm from a small city. That's not small, but it's a suburb outside of Los Angeles. It's called Glendora. Growing up there, my dad has a, a floor care and carpet cleaning business that he's had since for the last 30 years. And so I watched my dad as an entrepreneur be able to show up to my baseball games, be able to come to any event that was like really crucial. And so I really admired that. And I always thought that was something that I would want to, I'd want to do. When I was in school, I didn't have the best of grades. I probably was like a 2.7 GPA average. I just never really, I don't know, school just wasn't really my thing. I could never really understand the people who would show up and just without studying for a test and just got like an A on a test without studying and me, I'm getting a D or something like that with putting a little bit of effort into it. 
I don't know. I always kind of assumed like from right there that sure I would make some money, but I wouldn't be like a doctor or an engineer or something that this really smart people do. But as I got into later on in high school, college, I always thought back on what my dad was doing as an entrepreneur. And I thought, hey, you know what? I can start a business. And, and from there being a business owner, I can have control over my time. I can, how much money I make is, is up to me, how hard I work and the kind of business that I set up. It's not like I'm giving a set salary that's going to tell me how much money I'm going to make. And so two years into college, I realized that I didn't need a degree to be a business owner. And so I dropped out and was working for my dad full time. I learned the ropes of what his business looked like. And there was talks of me possibly taking that business over. And fast forward, maybe three years later, our business went from 400,000 a year to about 1.4 million a year. Just, I'm not saying like I did anything special. It was just like the help of us working on it together and being able to like him handle a lot of the sales and then me handle a lot of the operations. And even though it did really well and I was making pretty decent money, I wasn't, it wasn't like an industry that I was super passionate about. Like I love like the business aspect of it, but carpet cleaning or tile cleaning is, it's not really like a sexy, like one of the most like interesting topics that people like talking about, but I love the business aspect of it. And I started to, I, and I think one thing that I didn't like about that business is it was so like location-based, like in order, like we had a certain, our, the people that we serve is within the Southern California area. And I wanted to be able to work and make money and be in, I don't know, in Bali on vacation with my kids or I don't know, just I wanted to be able to have a time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom. And so I feel like going that route, I could have gotten the financial freedom, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't something I was like super passionate about. And so I started looking at really hitting hard on the e-commerce side of things. Like I, I had a lot of different ideas for like business and e-commerce, like online business where one was selling like glass screen protectors. I got on a monthly subscription versus like just a one-time thing. And then let's see, another one was called Turtle Ties, where we sold ties to save turtles. So it was like $11 a tie and that last dollar goes to saving turtles. Let's see. I had one business that was like a service business that would go after government contracts. And so our, we would get the government contracts and then sub it out to local contractors. And that worked I don't know. That didn't really work either. It was okay, but it didn't really work. And then a bunch of different other e-commerce stuff. But my last one was a was something that was more personal to me. It was a it was a business e-commerce brand that sold like autism based or autism focused clothing and like apparel and like toys, like sensory toys. And my brother, my older brother, his name is Brendan. He has autism, and like I've noticed, like in his his older years. He, he's 33 now. And so since he's graduated high school, there hasn't been like a really good work program that fit for him. So keeping him busy and keeping him engaged and feeling useful in the community. And uh, so he bounced around from different work programs. And so I thought, Hey, I'm going to create a business that he can work in. Maybe he can help me fulfill orders or he can be a model or I don't know, keep him busy. And uh, so I spent probably like four to six months on on that business, building it out. And cause there was like a lot of the shirts, I was like custom making them. And there was a lot of hype around, I feel like I was posting on Facebook groups and getting a lot of hype building it up. But when we launched, I think within the first week we had two sales and one of them was my mom. 
And so it was like heartbreaking. And then even continuing on, I was still paying like a lot in advertising and not getting the return. And I just basically ran out of money. Like I just wasn't able to, I feel like looking back at now, if I would have kept going, I may have been able to make something work with it, but I don't know. I realized that the product, like I wanted the, or I realized that the product didn't actually solve the solution like the, or solve the problem. Like I want the, like in the future, I want the product itself to be the solution to the problem. And so I realized I need more resources, more net, like a bigger network and all that stuff. And so I thought, Hey, you know, I'm actually going to go all in on real estate. I had a friend at the time that was telling me that 90% of millionaires are made through real estate. And I thought, okay, I don't know. I just started going down that rabbit hole and was like, Hey, I'm going to go all in on real estate, Airbnb. And, and bought our first property from a wholesaler in Joshua Tree that was a fixer upper. We, and when I say we, I mean like me, my, my wife, my dad, and my mom. So it's like, we're the team <laughs> and bought it from a wholesaler for 325, spent six months rehabbing it and put about like 120 or 150,000 total with furnishing and rehab and it appraised for 695. Wow, And uh, we were able to pull our capital back. And from there I was hooked, especially since right when we put on an Airbnb, just started like immediately getting bookings. And that was like, I remember that being so like, I don't know, this kind of weight off my shoulders or kind of being like, I don't know. It just felt really good because I was so used to having, putting a website up and then paying a lot on ads and then not getting like the sales that I was really wanting to. And so like immediately when I put on Airbnb, just started booking up and I was like, yes, this is this is awesome. I don't know. I've just been hooked ever since then buying more houses. And so right now my current portfolio looks like still have that one in Joshua Tree, Indio, California, um, Lake Arrowhead, California. And then we bought, we're working on a project, another one in Joshua Tree, that's 10 acres. We're building some storage unit, five, five storage unit containers Nice on there. And then, yeah. And then I manage seven other properties. Okay. So yeah. That's me so in a nutshell. I have a lot of questions. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Fire away. <laughs> we'll just backtrack. But so with the properties, what that one in Joshua Tree, your first one, what do you think it's worth now? I think we got an appraisal at a really good time. Joshua Tree has gone, I would say it's gone down a little bit. Uh -huh. So if I were to get it reappraised, right? Because this was at like the beginning of 2022 that it was reappraised. Oh, okay. okay. So, so like, it was like pretty much top of market. And then... From there, Joshua Tree, I would say like looking at comps now, because if you look at the appreciation it had in such a short amount of time, like it wasn't sustainable. There's no jobs there. There's no, there's no companies. Moving. It was really just like the hype of short-term rentals that was building yeah. up the value, like the value there. And so I would put it still like probably in the 600s, just, I don't know if I'd say it's 695 yeah. uh, right now, but. That's cool though. And that's then just, yeah. You're the places in California, do you get properties where they're just pretty like drivable because you're renovating them or have you looked in the area of the Redwood Forest or anything like that yet? So I think like the areas that we were looking at are drivable and a lot of them we gotten from like local wholesalers. And so I've looked at other markets, but we do like my dad's all, in our team, like I find the I find the deals and I do all like the legwork on like the paperwork and I'll do all I'll do all the management as the host and then my dad will do all like the he works as like the general contractor and then my wife and my mom are like the designers and the purchasers and that kind of stuff. So it's like a I don't know it's a team and we 
know, doing a project like that, we wanted to start somewhere local, but now we are looking hours. Joshua Tree is two hours from us. India is two hours. And then Lake Arrowhead is about an hour. Oh, and then uh, a question that I've always had that I really have never gotten the answer to since y'all were in flooring, you can answer this. Why, when you go into an old home and you pull up flooring of laminate, whatever, in the kitchen or bathroom, there's three layers of flooring. Like they just keep putting uh-huh. it. What is it just easy? Cause it sticks and you don't pull up. You don't have to pull up the the first part, the first laminate that they put down in like the 60s. Yeah. That's honestly what I'd say. Like they don't have to, so they don't. Like that's honestly, like they save on labor costs usually. And so it's and like then four just, layers and then you're like, okay. Yeah, wait, after that, I get so out. But I know yeah. also like for there's some houses that we've been into where it can also depend on the year where we're like, if we tear up this old linoleum, there could be asbestos underneath it. And I'd just rather not even deal with that. And so we'll just put flooring on top of it. Sometimes you get to uncover really nice wood, probably. That you can, but to be honest with you, like, I to me, I like luxury vinyl planks, like LVP. Right, I just yeah. do, uh, I, so if I were to, because especially as a short-term rental. Yeah, it's easier like, to keep up with. It's easier. The wood will scratch. Uh, they ring in there with dogs and they, have, they don't cut their, trim their nails enough. It mm-hmm. could like put some indents in the wood. And with the luxury vinyl planks, it's like when you outweigh the cost of like, refinishing it versus putting that in on a long-term. I don't know. I just put, we just put luxury vinyl planks in everything that we do. So it reminds so then, me, I'd seen a, an article, I think it was probably a couple of years ago or something, but it was, they had, somebody had bought this old house. It was like a big old house and they had removed the carpet or something in one room and they found this like ornately painted or yeah, I guess it was painted like full scale Monopoly board on the Oh, board. that's so cool. That's cool. Was, it was amazing. It was like mm. literally an old game board, huge, underneath this ugly old carpet that they pulled up. And of course, it, who knows? It's probably on Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. Personally, want shag carpet to come back because not the ugly colors, like the not that cute green color and like that odd orange color. You don't know if it's orange or if it's just faded dreams and hopes and all that stuff. But just like a cream. Or just because it's fluffy under your feet. I don't know. I just think that's pretty cool. But not yeah. just anywho. All right. I'm getting sidetracked. Other question. <laughs> Other question I have. So you went back. I like that autism idea because my best friend in high school, we grew up together. Her nephew was born autistic. And it was back way back when you still had DVD players and stuff. And he really wanted to watch SpongeBob, but they got a new DVD player and we didn't know how to hook it up. And he was only three and a half years old. So he started throwing his temper tantrum and with him, they're like, you just have to leave him in his space and let him do that. So we went and played Mario Kart. And then all of a sudden we heard SpongeBob in the next room and he hooked up the DVD player at three and a half years old. Like I, it, it was insane. I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. So I applaud you for doing that because there's so many different talents that they can bring to the table that you normally don't see. But I didn't hear what you said. You didn't tell me, like, you didn't, I didn't think you said what failed about the government contract thing because I've personally looked into that on our end on some things. And Uh, so this is where I can get deep into that. We, so our, so my dad's company is called Classic Floor Care. It already, it does government contracts like in this area. And when we sort of like, Hey, we could start a separate C and then start looking in like other areas. And I guess 
Well, we found it was a lot harder than initially. It's so time consuming going through, first of all, finding contracts that will make sense. And then we didn't want to do things that were like too big, kind of out of our like service. So we didn't, we didn't want to get in over our heads on something. So some of the things that we were looking at were like the margins weren't very good if we were trying to find like a subcontractor. A lot of them, like all the contracts didn't allow subcontractors that at least that we were looking at. And I don't know. And I'm probably making excuses because I know there's people out there that do it. I, I think in the end, it's it was an idea we tried out, but it wasn't supposed to be the thing that I was meant to do long-term, right. I think. Yeah. I think because like I look at like, like the past, you could look at them as failures, but I look at it as I gave up on it because I wasn't passionate. Like I wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't what I was meant to do. And with the autism thing with that, with that company, like I still have that desire. Like I still want to create something like that. I just want to do it better. I want to create like a, either like a post high school, like education, like maybe an online education thing where they can, there can be like different levels because there's so many different levels on the spectrum, but that would take a lot of money and time and to create something like that. So something that we could work together on that hasn't developed yet, but we'll talk about that later but Taylor, i wasn't getting off track i asked these questions because and get back on the reason why i asked these questions explain to people because a lot of people will try something at first and they fail and it's you know what just entrepreneurship is not for me and the thing is a lot of people aren't going to be most the majority of people of won't be successful with the first business they start and if you can explain your perseverance like not giving up, then a lot of the times you will find something entrepreneurial that you will succeed at and to keep that that dream alive because so many people just give up after that first failed attempt. Yeah. And just just to tag tack onto that question with a, another part of it would be like how long did you stick with each one of these various business ventures before to move yeah. on? That's a good question. I would say on average it was about six months. Okay. Is how long it took. And as far as like the perseverance part of it is, I don't know, I guess I just really like, if you really want something, if you really want like a certain lifestyle, you just keep going until you, till you get there. Right. But one thing that always stuck with me too, is I heard a phrase, I think it was from my friend where it's like, as entrepreneurs, we only have to be right once, right? Yeah. Like we could fail a hundred times, but the hundred and first business is takes off and does well. Everyone's going to look at that. Oh, wow, that guy, that, that business does well, but they're not going to see the hundred other failed attempts at, of businesses that didn't do well. But I don't know, that always stuck with me is like, all right, this wasn't, this wasn't my business that takes off. I just have to keep going, keep thinking and keep moving along. Another reason too, was like, I guess the, I guess during that time, I, I squeezed into a house in California for, I don't know, I bought a 450 little two bedroom condo with my wife and I felt like we were barely able to afford it. And then we had, we had a baby and then we had, we were, then my wife got pregnant again. And I was like, man, I make decent, I make six figures a year, but I feel like I am just barely scraping by. It doesn't seem everyone talks about, oh, if you make over a hundred grand a year, that seemed like a good, a, a comfortable salary or whatever. But it does, <laughs> yeah, especially then. And I was like, this isn't going to work. And so I was, I guess, just really motivated, I guess, especially when my priorities started coming up of like my kids, I realized like what I wanted for them and the kind of lifestyle I wanted to have with them, like the kind of vacations we wanted to go and the 
how much time I wanted to spend with them. And I don't know, I just really started to get, I don't know, really caused me to think about that more at that time. And that's what really kicked me into the gear. I think it was like really started focusing more on what kind of business I wanted to start and how I wanted my life to be. I like that. So with now your business, buying these houses and renovating them, and then are you buying and holding or are you sometimes flipping them? So all three that we've had, we've been able to hold them. Okay. I'm not like against, I guess that's why I like this strategy is because you have two exit strategies, right? Is you can, you could buy, obviously the main goal is to buy it, turn it into a short-term rental. But if for whatever reason we're low on liquidity or we, I don't know, the deal didn't turn out as well as we'd like, then we could sell it off and just uh-huh. flip it and still not be underwater or lose money on the deal. And so do you always look for properties that need a little TLC? Always. Yeah. Personally, yeah. I just with the, and I wouldn't recommend that for everybody, every situation. But like I said, I have my dad's basically a contractor who has a lot of experience. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. My my wife, my mom are really hands on with the design and the purchasing. And I don't know, we have a good team. And then, so I guess, and we have the time because like our background is my, my dad's business. We have, I don't know, it's not like we all have set W2 jobs. So we could put more right. focus into this business and then more focus into this business. And I, I don't know, it can switch a little bit. Yeah. So for us, it works out. Yeah, it sounds like you got the perfect setup with having each one of the, each one of your family members there with a different specialty that you can leverage yeah. off. And, yeah. and like you said, the rehab type properties, that's an excellent investment strategy. That's where you're probably going to find the best values and the best returns ultimately. But like you said, it's not for everybody. If you have a team like like you do, Casey, that you have somebody who knows what they're doing and you can trust as a contractor, that type of thing, and you have the time to oversee, then you should absolutely explore it. But if you're if you don't and you don't have the time to really oversee it and put the proper effort into it, it can really be a nightmare. There's plenty of horror stories out there of especially with remote investing where people get taken advantage of. There's just a lot of you got to be careful when you choose a contractor, just like anything else, right? Yeah. And yeah. when I say that, I would, I, prior to the real estate, I was doing, I worked for a large contract and it was commercial real estate or commercial properties, but uh, same thing. I know the contracting world very well, but for me personally, I don't seek out big rehab or value add projects because I know how challenging that can be. I'm and consuming I too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, I... I Yeah. Like I, I don't know when I crunch in the numbers sometimes and you're like, man, if we were over, if we were over our rehab this much and our appraisal came in, but like lower this much, when I think about that, sometimes I'm like, man, all the time we spent, it would have been easier if, if the numbers didn't work out the way they did just to put it 10%, use a vacation home, 10% down Mm -hmm. loan and put that on a turnkey property and saved a lot of time. But so let's say where if you go over in your rehab and your appraisal comes a lot lower, then it's just, a, you might as well just do that. So that's why it really is hard to, you have to have like your numbers down and have a team and it's not, yeah, it's not easy to do for sure. And, and you mentioned the word- overestimate your rehab. Yes, yeah. I always fluff that up for sure, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the word wholesale. So for our listeners that are just new at this, because- I see a lot of people throwing these words around in these Facebook groups. And when I talk to them, they're, they don't even know 
what that word is. They've just seen that word. And I think that's mm. what they need to explain what you, the difference is like there's private money, there's hard money, there's fix and flip loans, commercial loans. So explain the different tactics in layman's terms for people that you've used so they can understand the concept uh, behind that word. Yeah. So a wholesaler is basically a middleman for a real estate transaction. If you have lots of times, they're not even agents like licensed agents. They, they go directly to sellers that are distressed. Usually they're distressed. Either the property itself is, could be a hoarder house or it's ugly or whatever. Or there's also like personal distress of they're going through a divorce or they're moving out of town and they just sell right away. So there's different, basically we'll just use the word distress. Like for some reason, the property is distressed. So they'll target those type of properties and go directly to the seller and generally avoid the use of, a, of an agent. So there's no like commission. So basically they'll say, hey, you could sell it. They go to the seller and say, hey, you could sell it to us and cut out the 6% commission. And you'll save a lot there. And yeah, so they'll make an offer. They'll get it generally below market, get it under contract. And then they basically sell those, the rights to the property or the sell right to a cash investor. And then they'll mark it up. So let's say they have it under contract for a hundred thousand. They'll sell it to a cash investor for 110, 115. Mm -hmm. And it's all done in escrow. There's, it's not, I don't know. They don't generally have to close on it. They can, but they don't have to. And it's not like a traditional real estate sale because the wholesaler doesn't have that fiduciary. An agent right. does for your best, like your best interest. And so the wholesaler is just trying to push the transaction, trying to make it, trying to get it, find somebody to buy it. So you do have to know your numbers when you're calculating your after repair value have to have really good comps to back it up and feel confident in it. And then also know your rehab costs. And also talking about the lending side of it with them, when you buy from a wholesaler, they usually want, you have to be a cash or hard right. money buyer because right. they don't want, yeah, they don't, if they're promising the seller, we can close in two weeks, right. then they want somebody, they want somebody who can close in two weeks without having any contingencies of an appraisal or an inspection or whatever. They just, here's the deal, take it or leave it type thing. The reason why I wanted to explain that is because people that are listening, whether you go into it with a wholesaler like this, or you want to have a fix and flip loan or, or whatever it is, because I know those terms are very popular right now, guys, you have to have experience. For me, like personally, I think you have to have experience in this to be successful. And if you don't personally work with somebody that can be your mentor and, or maybe go in with the deal with you to show you those kind of things and show you the ropes until you understand it yourself. Because if you're going blind, like he said, the wholesaler is just looking for somebody like he, he isn't, it doesn't matter if you succeed or fail to them. They're just looking mm -hmm. for somebody to feel that transaction. So it's not about experience that you have. They're just like, if you've got the cash, we'll do it. So really, you like he said, you really have to know your numbers and stuff to do that. So I, I just, I like to be safe and warn people, don't go all out by yourself if this is like your first one and you don't really know what you're doing because you a lot of times will not succeed like you want to in it. Yeah, oh, I agree. I want to expand on that too. Like my first deal was from a wholesaler, but like I have a very, I don't know, high risk tolerance. I'm not afraid. Like, it, And I like I said, I have this background of my dad's a contractor. I'm like, yeah, we could do that. We can tackle that together. Or if we have to do it all DIY, like whatever, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll get it done. But 
at the time, the market was like, this was end of 2021. So like the market was so hot that anything, I don't know, I feel like anything that they were throwing the MLS, like finding like a burr deal was so hard on MLS and I was pretty new. And so I was hearing how everyone was going to wholesalers and I was like, all right, watch out these wholesalers because I knew that they were getting things under contract. And it, like, so like the price is, here's the price. It's not like you're bidding or anything like that. And so that was like appealing to me, but I would say we did go over budget on our rehab, but because the market was appreciating so, <laughs> so fast that we were lucky that we were saved because our appraisal came in so high that we were able to still cover all of our costs and it was fine. But, but no, I, I agree with you. It's not, especially right now, that's not what needs to happen. There's the MLS is easier to work than it was in the end of 2021, in my opinion. And I like just to have like different deal flows, right? If I have agents that I'm working with and wholesalers that I'm working with, then I don't know, I get a lot of different deals and I can analyze, I just get good at analyzing and figuring out what is a good deal and what isn't. Yeah. And that's a good segue into what you're doing now, which I believe is a relatively recent venture with, with coaching, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, cause like at the beginning of the year is when I started coaching beginning of 2023. And I think like the main reason why I did it is uh, first of all, when I was trying to do like the Burr Stir strategy, right? like the Burr short-term rental or Burr Airbnb or whatever, I didn't have, I didn't know anyone that was coaching on that or like showing people how to do that type of strategy. And, uh, and so I was like, once I get a good handle of it, understanding how the process works and I'm, I can start helping people. It started off with me posting content on Instagram and stuff. And then I don't know, I just got a lot of questions. I was like, Hey, I think there is a pretty good need for this type of, of coaching. And uh, another thing that I do along with teaching that is like more one-on-one. -on -one. I like to be able to jump on like a Zoom call with the clients and be able like to run through a deal and they'll be there walking through and like holding up their phone, like almost like a FaceTime and I'm going through it all. And I just like, I don't know, I like being, looking at the deals and like giving my feedback of, oh, I would buy that because of this, or I wouldn't buy it because of this. And I feel like that helps people when they're just starting out too, because they want somebody to give like their second opinion, because it can be really lonely when you're starting out trying to look at a deal and be like, is this a good decision? I don't know. And for a lot of people, they get that analysis paralysis and trying by me doing that one-on-one -on -one and kind of like analyzing a deal with them, plugging in the numbers, and then being saying, hey, this is something that I would recommend, or this is something I wouldn't recommend because of this. Are you doing that just in California or are you doing that across the United States? I'm doing that across in all sorts of markets. It's harder to, it does take me a little bit longer if it's in a market that like I'm not currently operating in. So comp it and look at deals, stuff like that. But I don't know, I use AirDNA and I use PropStream. AirDNA for like more short-term rental projections and then PropStream for more like the, obviously the real estate side of comps and appraisals and, and that kind of thing. And let me um, ask you this. I don't know if y'all have this issue in California, there is a lot of, so let's just give the Smoky Mountains, for example, there's a lot of old cabins that just need a lot of work and to close in two weeks, right? You can't inspection, no inspections, anything like that. We do have things where people will do the radon testing and like it comes back and it's bad. So mm -hmm. do y'all have to deal with that in California or is it just where like the rocky area? I just, I don't know, because that's be my fear. If I when in on something like, yeah, I can figure, and then it turns out like it's got such high amount of radon, you can't really get rid of that. Yeah, I, was, I can tell you with the properties that I've bought from, I've never had to deal with the radon yep. inspections or any type of test. I've never had to do them, but I have, I've heard of people doing that. I just, 
I'm not too familiar with that, and at least in the California markets. Okay. To do that. Yeah, I just didn't know if it, so it's market specific. So there's a there's depending on the market, like there's so many things that can go into it depending on where you're buying it. So that's that's good to know. Yeah, for sure. So in California, you just get extra taxes on taxes. Yeah. <laughs> that's I know, you get right? Triple yeah. Tax. <laughs> tons and tons of taxes. But yeah, I like, yeah, for every market, it can be different. And I know, at least for what I tell my clients is I'm there to kind of like help and coach and help you through it. But you do like any type of market, it's good to rely on the professionals that are local to that market, right? So agents, lenders, contractors, it's, I don't know. I, I think that's my favorite part as an investor is you don't have to know everything. You can rely on other people who do know the things that you right. need to know. And I don't know some, but and I think that's where part of the coaching kind of comes in is I don't know helping people work through that. Hey guys, it's Brenna Carl, CEO and co-founder of The Mortgage Shop. When I'm not spending my time searching for the best pizza in town, working out because of pizza, or fighting sharks as Kale likes to say, I spend my time educating clients on the best investment products that will help them build generational wealth and making sure their loan process is as smooth as warm butter on a piece of toast. Call us today to get started with your investment journey at 800. 800- 816-7982 or talk more about pizza. Talk to you soon. So, yeah. We'll talk about it at the end, but early like different tiers of your coaching of what you charge and stuff. You're doing it like going through the whole deal with them and like making like holding your hand or are you just advising up front? Do you, what is it? So it's, a, so it's an eight week program. Okay. Mainly, so technically it's 12 months, but eight weeks of one-on-one going through the material Okay. Every week there's a Zoom call, an hour Zoom call of just one-on-one. And my clients like it because it's not just like videos that you go through. What it, like a lot of people do is they get to ask questions in real time. So if I'm teaching, if I'm going over a concept or showing how to analyze a deal, they can ask questions in real time and get it answered. And then, so it's eight weeks of that. And then for up to a year they have, we can do deal deep dives, which is like a 30 minute Zoom call of going over a deal. Nice. I like that. Uh, so that can be done once a week. So yeah, that's like how the program started. I found that, and the reason why I structured it the way I did is like, I I spent like 35000 on coaching education in the last three years. And I feel like there was this, there's this like, how a lot of them function is, it's like this guru on Instagram or Facebook who has a lot of following and a lot of doing a lot of real estate like transactions. And they don't have time to teach you how to do it. So they, so they create videos and then they'll do like once a week or once a month, like right. coaching calls. And then it'll be like a group setting where there'll be like 20 to 50 mm-hmm. people on the calls or something like that. And I found myself never going on those calls because I don't know, there'd be like the same beginner questions or like, I don't know. I'd be like, man, there's 30 people on here. I don't want to ask my question. Like it seems... Yeah. And I don't know. So that's why I structured it the way that I did. And I don't know, before I used to think, oh, I don't have, I don't have 50 rental units. I'm not ready to start being a guru coach or whatever. But it was like, I read in a book by Russell Brunson, who's the owner of ClickFunnels. And he says, you're not, just because you don't think you have that experience doesn't mean you can't start helping people now. Like you have enough knowledge to start helping people. You don't have to be like an expert in something. You don't have to be an expert or be 10 times more experienced than your, your clients are, you just have to be one chapter ahead to help right. them get where they're going. And that like really helped me to like, Hey, I can do this. And once you get started, you realize, I don't know, a lot of people are getting help and they're liking what they're, I know they're getting value out of it. Then it, I don't know, it makes you 
You're like, okay, yeah, I'm doing something okay. I'm doing something right. Yeah, and there's a huge need for it regardless. It's short-term rental in specific. It's more and more popular. Of course, people get interested. And there's just, there's so many people who are new to the industry who have no clue what they're getting into. And there's still a ton of people who have gotten into it uh, or are starting to get into it that, like you said, they just need some handholding, right? It's maybe they're, they just don't have the comfort level to, to take the next step or to pull the trigger. Even if maybe they, it's not necessarily the knowledge that they need, they might just need that extra little bit of confidence with having yep. alongside them. There's always a need for that. And like you mentioned before, whether it's a coaching program or whether it's a mentor of some sort or just relying on the various professionals that you work with, that's so crucial. I know for me, I didn't do any coaching mentorship program or anything like that, but thankfully I was fortunate enough to really just stumble across, I guess, ultimately a great short-term rental agency that teaches you as part of whenever, when you work with them for buying the properties, they teach you everything you need to know to, to get going. And just that was enough to give me the confidence to say, okay, I think I can do this. And a knowledgeable lender. Don't forget that part. And a knowledgeable lender. <laughs> no, that's it though. It's true. No, it's not there. <laughs> yeah, a knowledgeable lender, a good agent. Then I know the short-term shop has cash flow Carl. And so, or, so yeah, I feel like mentorship is, I don't want to say necessary. Mentorship will help you get to where you want to go faster, whether it's paid or not. And some people... Your lender, your agent, they are paid in a way, and that's why they're incentivized to, to mentor you. But I don't know. But either way, I think, yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah. For sure. Cool. There's so, there's so many other things we could get into with the business side of things, but just want to move into some of the other subject areas. Let's do uh, it. So when we talk, when we jump into the physical fitness portion, and, and within that, we can talk about a little bit of mindset and stuff too, because I think they go hand in hand and they're both important with all the other topics that, that we talk about. And I know in your chapter, you talk about mindset a lot. And yeah. so why don't you just tell us a little bit about, I guess, what does that mean for you? What does mindset or physical fitness mean for you? Why is that important? And how does that, what do you do? And how does that overflow into these different areas of your life? Okay, cool. So I'll, I'll backtrack a bit. Like in, in high school, uh, I feel like I've been very athletic and did a lot of sports. Like I had to go into football, basketball, I don't know, baseball, all, like all sorts of sports growing up. I feel like I had this, because I was doing that, I always had something that was like forcing me to be fit or like healthy, physically moving all the time. And after that, and I was also in a workout, like a gym class, like my sixth period every for high school, all throughout high school was a workout class. And I feel like that kind of burned me out a little bit after high school of being, having, working out as a class. Like it just was like, it wasn't as enjoyable for me after that. After that, I would still like periodically do it. But ever since I've become like, I've gotten married and become a dad, I've been focusing so much on providing that it's been harder to put that as a focus for me. But as I've been learning, like, I feel like I put a lot into mindset as far as like how to be happy in life, how to be healthy and not just physically, but mentally. And I found that by physically working out, it also helps your mental, like your helps you mentally, helps you be in a better mood, helps you feel happier throughout your day. And, and I've also, I don't know. So those are, that's just a few things that I've, I've realized that sure providing is huge, right? I need to make, I need to make money to provide for my young, my, my family. But at the same time, like when I was thinking about the, 
Like I've always thought, okay, I want my kids to be proud of me as far as like the financials. I want to be able to take them on good vacations and have nice cars or whatever. But I also want them to look at me in, in my 40s and be like, my dad's not this old fat guy. I want them to look at me like, yeah, my dad's like in shape or that's like another reason that I was like, all right, I need to really get it together and start focusing on that. But another thing that I actually heard Ryan Panetta, I don't know if he is, he's on Instagram, stuff like that, but he says that there's like everything in his business, he can pretty much hire somebody else to do, but he can't hire somebody to take care of his own family or mm-hmm. take care of his own body. And I was like, yo, that's so true. I can't like in my business, I can hire somebody to manage the rentals or buy properties or manage the, pro- manage the rehabs, but I can't hire somebody to take care, unless like I already do a personal trainer, but even then they're not going to actually physically move my body to work out. I have to do that on my own. And it's one thing that I would say recently, like in the last two or three months that I've been trying to focus on more, I actually had this idea (laughs) and it's still in the works, but I saw how Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are going to have a fight. I don't know if you saw that, right? Is that real? I just, I don't follow. I it's like, it's, like, it's going to happen. Like a, like a boxing match or is it like MMA? Like, it's like, like a US like, cage fight. I don't know. They have like. flat boxing, but I couldn't see. I, I, I got money on Elon. It's, Mark Zuckerberg is training with UFC fighters. There's two UFC guys that are training him. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, so far, it sounds like it's legit. But I was, after I heard that, I was looking at Elon last and I'm like, man, he's like a. He's a little chubby. He's a little chubby. And I'm like. But I'm like, really, that's actually probably good for him because announcing the fight is going to force him to work out. Like it's going to make him work out and get ready. And then I'm like, and then he gets a bunch of hype around the event. So it's going to be like people going to his business. And I was like, man, you know what I should do? I should do a real estate meetup where I fight somebody or something like that. And then, and then publicly announce it. And then if I publicly announce it, let's say, all right, September or something. And then I have so many weeks to train. And then really that for me, that'd be a good motivator to like really get in shape. And then I was like, then there'd be hype around it where I'd get more followers or whatever. And I was like, man, that's like a mild jog. But that's not a good enough. That's not a good enough incentive. Like I can say, oh yeah, I'm going to run a marathon, but I don't care to run a marathon. That's not. And this way I'm mixing like the two, the financial side to me personally, I feel like it. And then I don't know. That would put too so much drugs on me if I was like, yeah, I'm going to fight somebody. Because then I'd so be like, every day I'd be like. fight. Yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be a boxing match. But so. It's in the works. I have a few people who are down. I see, so. been, I see you've been doing some collaborations with Alex Sabio. You're going you're gonna to put the challenge out to him? You're going to get him in the ring? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I haven't asked him yet, but there's a few people. That, there's a few people I've asked that said yes. That, and so I just don't want to put it on blast yet, but. but I've got you. Yeah, watch I'm out. Right it might, <laughs> uh, it might happen. It might happen in September. We'll see. There you go. Look, Brenna, that's, that might be a new, a new fit investor promo idea. No, the thing is though, I would just have the advantage because I've trained doing that before. So I just don't want to show anybody up. That's going to be my right. <laughs> shark wrestling. Right. All that. Yeah. Like, you know, my wife, like, what if they just like beat the crap out of you? I like punch you. That face? I'm like, but, but that's, I'm okay with that. It's good content. It's, I'm getting like in shape, getting ready for it. And negative publicity is still publicity. It's still publicity, right? Who cares? Everyone's like, remember that guy who got beat the crap out of at that real estate meetup? And then, oh, maybe I should invest with him or something. I don't know. It could happen. Hey, Your slogan could be like mentoring in fixing homes, not cage riding. <laughs> exactly. It probably is a good idea. It would get a, it would get a lot of, look at that. What was, what's his name? Gosh. 
was it Paul Logan? Yeah, Logan and yeah, Jake Paul. I'm like, I always thought it was weird that they do that. I'm like, maybe that's why they do that is because there's so much hype. Like they make so much money from it. And it's like, I'm not trying to make millions of dollars from it, but I feel like it just, it just builds hype, gets people talking about it. Just different like event in the space that no one's, He's doing, no one's having a real estate meetup that's like a fight night. I don't know. Just no one's doing that. No, because like, you, guys like it, you guys heard it. You guys heard it here. This is the unveiling of the. Uh, you should enter in. You yeah. should enter in too. And so everyone that I've talked to about it, like they always think of joking at first, so, but then they start thinking about it more and they're like, actually, that's not a bad idea. I don't know. It's, it's funny. So we'll see. Yeah. Maybe right now it might happen. It might not, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Love it. I'll come to it. If it happens, that's more. I'd buy a ticket. I'd come to it just because, like, it's something I don't see every day. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll see. Anywho. So, besides scheduling some potential cage matches, what what else? What's your, what's your since you're putting a focus on things now? What do you? What's your routine look like, or, or what are you starting to do? I know you mentioned a personal trainer. Yeah, I don't have one yet, but I would. I think that would be nice to do eventually, but. I don't know. I read the book Atomic Habits a while ago, and I'm trying to use that to start. I don't know. I guess like right now, my goal is pretty, I don't know. I don't know if it's simple, but I'm trying to walk 10,000 plus steps a day and then just really watch what I eat. Like I've been trying to cut out a lot of carbs and just eat more protein. That's a good, I like meat, so that's easy for me to do. It's like just cut out carbs and eat meat and just more vegetables and fruits and stuff like that. But yeah, I try to, like when I wake up in the morning, I go on a three mile, four mile walk. And that's been, I feel like, and I want to do a book or a podcast while I'm doing that. And so I feel like that's a really good start for the day for me is like just getting a lot of movement in. And I wanted to start there. And I've been going to the gym like once or twice a week. Not as often as I like, but I don't know. I'm trying not to like, I'm trying to, like I said, trying to start like gradually and get my, really get the habit going. Because before I was like, I wake up at 5.30 and just start working. It just, and so now I'm like, all right, let's start. Let's have a morning routine of like exercise and reading and, and then get to work around seven or no, like 7.38. I like um, two things you said in there for the working out that I wanted to point out to people because they can see Kale hitting these PRs at 5.30 in the morning at the gym or, or whatever he's doing. And he, they're like, can't live up to that. That's not me. And you saying, I'm just starting out simple with watching what I eat and then the walks. I don't think people understand how much walking can actually help. Because I even, I know the Apple Watch isn't be all end all. But when I would run one or two miles, I would burn on average, like for me, it's 110 calories per mile. Mm-hmm. But then I'm burning the same thing when I walk it. And I know you're using different, your VO2 max and stuff, jogging, but it would sometimes be like, I don't want to jog. It's really hot outside. And I just wouldn't do it at all versus going out and enjoying a walk. And mm-hmm. so now I do that. And I've seen better results doing that than trying to force myself into running if too hot or allergies are a big thing here in Tennessee and so that affects it too so I like that you don't want to overwhelm yourself at first and try to do all these things because it just comes with time and again the Atomic Habits Habits book I believe I think everybody should read that because you have to just start it's just 
slowly taking that step by step instead of just, I'm going to go to the gym six days a week. Your body's not used to that. You're not going to be able to sustain that because your body will literally physically be too tired. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get burned out like too quickly. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. For me, I know that was like my issue, especially with my nutrition is like, my, I was big on like time. I just want to save time. And so for lunch, I'm just going to door dash some fast food. And so I can keep working and rather than like having to like meal prep or I don't know, or something like that. So that was an issue. So like, if I start on those two things of moving my body more on a daily basis, like just walking more or something like that, and then just watching more to eat, that's like a good start on like the direction. And then it can just evolve over time of focusing on, on the working outside of things like at the gym and lifting heavier weights or whatever, but it's just where. I'm starting at right now. So yeah. I like it. Yeah. I think one of my big challenges is lunch, frankly, just like you mentioned, like, man, especially now that it's working from home, lunch and taking breaks. Like I don't take breaks half the days or more than half the days. I even forget to eat lunch. Like I'll look at the clock and now it's three, four o'clock and I'm like, I'm not going to eat now because yeah, exactly. it's right around the corner. And so I, that's a bad habit that I've gotten into recently. I need to figure something out. I thought of maybe doing one. Protein of shake. I do my morning protein shake. Oh. It's like a big meal replacement thing. And I don't have that until usually like nine o'clock or something in the morning. And I won't get hungry really until maybe one, two o'clock mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know. I thought about maybe doing like one of those meal prep or meal order things like that, at least just for lunch and force myself to start putting something in the calendar even because I need to it's gotten bad. Like I, I skip lunch way, way too much. Uh, yeah. I, you're working out. Like you will feel like crap if you don't eat enough. Yeah. Or, you're mental, or mentally working. Yeah. Or that too. Like for me, I notice if I don't eat lunch around, I don't know, four o'clock or so, I start to like really crash like on energy is, I don't know, for me personally is, so that's why I, I try to eat lunch or otherwise I know I'm going to uh-huh. crash later hungry. on. Like yeah. people, <laughs> my employees know if I haven't eaten yet and they're like, you mean taking your lunch <laughs> pretty hard? Anyway. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's something I need to figure out in the nutrition, especially because the other thing with me is just eating in general. I'm not a, I don't have a huge appetite in general. weird to me. I'm like hungry right now. I can just eat. And if somebody just explains like a pizza really well, I'll get hungry again. Oh, don't mention pizza. I'm already in. It's it's only 840 here and I'm one of pizza. Second spirit in Brenna. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'm going to be quiet for a second because I know KO asked questions you need to ask because I'm. I'll take all day. <laughs> no, I was just wrapping up my little spiel there is, yeah, I just don't eat enough, which is counterproductive for my goals physically, which is to grow when my body type in general has a hard time growing and putting on mass. So it's, that's been a constant struggle for me my entire life is just that contradiction of not eating enough, but wanting to build mass and having a body type that requires extra food if I want to put on mass. And so it's been a real, it continues to be a real challenge that I haven't found a good solution for it. It's so hard for you not to have to, just to eat so much more. I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> Actually, what's been hard for me is I used to be that same way. I feel like growing up, it was like, I couldn't put on weight. I was always a skinny kid and I couldn't put on weight. But then, so I always had that mindset of, oh, I can eat whatever I want. I'll never, you never gain weight. And then all of a sudden it just seemed like it switched to that it was like, you can't do this anymore. And so- right. That's been, for me, I've had to work around that, but so. Yeah. So always something trying to sort out. 
But yeah, at the end of the day, ultimately, <clears throat> it's the nutrition, the finance, or the, the fitness regimen, the mindset. Like we talked about, it's doing something, right? Doing something to move the needle, to, to start building some good, healthy habits. And it just overflows into all the different areas of your life. The, we didn't really talk about it much in the first section, talking about the business and everything. But of course, the mindset, I'm sure, was a tremendous part or critical part of getting you to where you are today. And I'm sure a big part of that is consistency and discipline, which that's the essentials for any phys physical fitness regimen or nutrition regimen as well, right? So all these things go hand in hand, which is why we like to explore them together. So with that, and since yeah, time always flies here, but why don't we just jump into the last bit here and uh, talking about your faith and how that integrates into things. And maybe we can just start it off with, I know you, it sounds like you have a bit of a cool experience at least, or maybe a cool story on your time that you spent in, in Germany, right? Two years in mm -hmm. Germany, right? Yeah. So I spent, yeah, when I was 19, I spent two years in total. Like I was there from, I never went home the whole two years. I was in Northern Germany. So it was technically like the Berlin mission was the name of it. But I lived in five different cities while I was there. And yeah, I just did a lot of teaching about Jesus and experienced a lot of different cultures, learned German. And do you still do you speak German? I, I do. Yeah. It's like, when I was there, especially like a year in, I was, that's when I started to feel like really comfortable with my German. Like I could really keep conversations and I would make very little mistakes. Like after two years, I felt like really good, but now it's been almost 10 years or yeah, almost since I've been back and I just don't practice it enough. And so I can read it. I can listen to it like very well, but speaking just doesn't come off the tongue as well. Like I can't just speak like normal. I can, it's just not like it used to be, but I do. Yeah, I do speak. German. I still pray in German that that's been like, that's been able to keep some of it up. So I still pray in German and, and periodically my wife doesn't like it, but sometimes at the table, I'll just randomly just pray in German and, and just start yelling out German commands or something. But yeah, so that's, I'll do that. But yeah, I still speak some German. Yeah. Oh. All right. Um, interrupted your story there. Good. And man, it was just a really good time. It was hard. It's difficult being away at 19 from your family for two years, but, and they have a, it's like a very strict kind of schedule and obviously no one forces you to do that, but it's like a guideline of like how, like, like we have wake up at six 30 in the morning and then have 30 minutes of exercise. Then from we get ready. And then from eight to 10, we're doing scripture study. And so it was like doing that every day for two years was amazing. It's hard, but it's, you I look back at it and I was like, I wouldn't be able to do that. I don't think if I didn't have such a good motivator as being like a servant for like of God, right? It would have been so much harder to do if I'm just like, oh, I'm doing this for myself. But no, if you're doing it, I don't know, for your faith, it just, I feel like that's the only way I was able to do it. But yeah, it was an amazing experience. So that goes back to the consistency and discipline right there as well. Right? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And not, I love that because you have, it's just so dedicated to that, like to serving and your faith that. Like you just have an hour of uninterrupted, like personal study. So like for an hour, you just study whatever topic you want and you don't have to like, I was only 19. So I was like, I didn't have to worry about kids or a wife or a business or like anything. Like I didn't have any employees texting me. It was just like, I don't know, pure uninterrupted time. And so I, I miss that aspect of it is because I just was so 100% focused on that where now I feel like that time is harder to do. Did you have any, any 
what's the word I'm looking for? I, I can't think of a better word, but any cool experiences or like any, yeah, I just can't think of the word. And not, yeah, I feel like more, yeah, profound. Yeah, there was a lot. So one thing that I really enjoyed was Germany is like a, especially at the big cities, I guess it's the big cities here too. I just, I don't live in a big city, so I didn't really experience it, but there, there's so many different people that come from different countries. So like I taught people from India, China, South Africa, pretty much anywhere, like Russia, like any place you can think of, it seemed like definitely every continent and a lot of countries I was learning different cultures and talking to them. Like I learned little parts about their language or something like that. And so I, I love doing that. And especially when like I'd be in a big city and we'd be trying to talk to people about Jesus since like Germans are a little more, not as friendly, not as open to that. And I'd be talking to them on the, I'd be trying to talk to them on the street. And then there'd be like an African that comes around the corner. I'd be like, Hey, we're talking to people about Jesus. And we want to ask you a question. He's like, Jesus, I love Jesus. Like when, when do you guys want to meet and talk? And I don't know. It was just like, I don't know, just experiencing different cultures and like different experiences like that. There was a lot of people you could see who's teaching them about faith, about gospel doc, gospel topics, just really you know, changed their life uh, when it comes to reading the scriptures more and just seeing the benefits from that or never being able to pray before and then learning that they can pray and what that does for them, what their relationship with God, their spirituality, you know, just all sorts of Amazing experiences. Aside from that, I mean, as being in Germany was really cool. Like on, on Mondays, we'd have a kind of a day off where we could go to groceries and laundry and stuff like that. But we would, uh, we'd go see like castles and play basketball. And I don't know, do that in the same day is funny. Let's go pick, I don't know, let's go see a European castle and then go play basketball after. I don't know. It was just, <laughs> it was a really good time though. Yeah. No, it sounds amazing. And doing any type of Traveling in general, of course, is always exciting, but of course, doing it and evangelizing it is even more cool. Yeah. I would imagine it's, especially being 19, 19 years old, you said going to, I'm assuming it was with probably a larger group as well. Is that right? Or Yeah. yeah. So we all have, how it works is there's a mission president who's over that mission. So it'd be the Berlin mission. And then, and so he's just, I don't know, the director, I guess. I don't know the best word for it. But, and then from there, like each area has like a companionship. So like I'd be, it'd be me and another guy and we would teach together. And so, yeah, that means there's still a group of a bunch of people out there. Yeah. I guess I was just going to say, I would imagine could it be a 19 going to a foreign country that you don't speak the language, at least initially and going to proselytize is probably a pretty intimidating, intimidating thing I'd imagine. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's intimidating. And for me, especially the, I don't feel like the reality of it until I was there till like, I didn't think, I don't know, for some reason, just, it didn't grasp it. And so I did struggle with some anxiety, some at the beginning of my mission and I lost a lot of weight and stuff, but, but I, don't know, I was just told myself, like, I'm not, I don't know, I'm here for a reason. I'm not going to go home. And I don't know, just, you, you really rely a lot on prayer and trying to forget yourself and get to work like helping God's children, right? That's what you have to do. And so it's it's not easy, but I don't know. It was definitely worth it though. Yeah. Did you have to get used to like the German food? Is that was not a problem at all. No, I love German food. So I don't know. A lots of like salty like meats and breads and I don't know. It's all good. Like German chocolate's really good. German pastry. I don't know. 
but I was walking. I didn't have a car or anything like that. So we would just walk all over the place. And so that wasn't a problem. I was walking like tons and tons of steps a day to where I could eat honestly whatever I want. But but no, the German food's really good. I'm I like it's my type of food. So I didn't have any I didn't have any complaints about it. Brent, and then so. Yeah, I'm like I'm my stomach's growling, so I don't even know if the mic is called it. Actually, I'll tell you the the Pretty food well. that I did have to get used to was the African food. We'd have Love we'd it. eat at African stuff, and I'd have this thing called bamku. It's like a it's like a paste. It's like a potato based or sweet potato based like mush, and you eat it on like a soup. But they put meat in there, and so we'd have goat intestine and goat skin, or like a, a full fish head would be in your soup. And like with the bones and everything. And so that wow. was, that was weird. But for German feed, I never had anything just bad to say about that. So exactly yeah. what I wanted in a soup is to crunch down on a fish bone. Yeah. So how do you, so I'm sure you learned a ton from that. I'm sure some of the disciplines I would imagine helped you out throughout your career elsewise, but how do you, how do you integrate your faith in your, whether through your daily routine or how do you just integrate it into your everyday life and perhaps your business today? Yeah. You know, it's kind of everything. I feel like it's how you, your religion, your belief is how you operate. I don't know how you operate your business in a way of ethics, right? Is how you feel people should be treated or, I don't know, for me, it's a lot. I don't try to, I don't know, for me, especially on social media and stuff like that, I try to be as genuine as I can. So I am religious and I don't like, I don't know, some people think, oh, if you talk about God or Jesus on a reel or on an Instagram post or whatever, it might, some people might not agree. It's like, I don't really care. I, like, of course I care about them, but it's like, I'm trying to reach those people who, who do care about them. Those are the kind of people that I want following me or that I want to be associated with. And so for me, it's like, I, don't know, I'm, I never try to, I've never tried to hide the mm. fact that I'm religious or that I believe in God and Jesus. It's more of, it's just made me a better version of who I am. And, but to mix it in, yeah, I just say it does affect, affect everything because a lot of people don't think you can mix the two, but if I have a, an important business decision, like if I'm thinking, should I buy this deal? I'm going to talk about it in prayer. I don't, a lot of people think you can't do that, but you can't. I view God as my friend and my father. I can talk to him about. The true mentor. <laughs> yeah, true mentor. I can talk to him about anything that's going on in my life and especially the financial stuff. If I have financial goals, I'll talk to him about it. And it doesn't mean they have to be completely separated. If I, with my son, I wouldn't want him to only come to me. I don't know, just with the stuff that he needs or like the stuff he's thankful for. I want him to come with me with everything. Let's talk about anything that's going on in his life. So that's why I think they're intertwined. I don't think they're separate like at all. So I like that. I saw something the other day on Instagram and I forget what chat. It was like Ephesians or just based off of one of the Bible verses, but it said a lot of people are like on that gray area. So they're like, how close can I get to sin without sinning? So I can still feel good about myself saying I'm not doing, they're really close versus how can, how close can I get to being godly? And I think people have confused the two because I'm not sinning, but you're like right here in sin is a sin in God's eyes. And so it's like, try to reverse that thinking of everything you do. Like you say, you pray about a deal that you might be contemplating and people might not even go to him except for when they need something or stressed out about something versus like, just how can I develop that relationship more, be closer to God instead of being closer, closer to sin? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just, I think, I think I shared this maybe on the last episode we recorded here, but one of the coolest things for me has lately has been, so I mentioned I have a three-year-old, my youngest, and so we make it a point to, to pray every time we eat. It's for me, it's not only for establishing the habit because I want the kids to see that and I want that to become a habit for them as well, but it's a way to be accountable as well. And to make sure that we are giving thanks. But the coolest thing is that just within the last two, three weeks is our little three-year-old. He wants to pray now. So he just started, he starts doing it. When we go to pray at dinner or something, sometimes he'll jump in. He'll be like, Ramsdays do it. Ramsdays do it. And then he'll, <laughs> we speak kind of Spanglish in the house. And okay. It, it's his verbiage is Spanglish right now, but it's the cutest little thing. He'll, it's just like a pure stream of thought on, on what's in a three-year-old's head, it, but it's the cutest, most pure, innocent thing. Like he'll talk about chocolate lizards, lollipops. Like, yeah. Like, talk about the same. Sounds, sounds like my daily talk too. <laughs> whatever it, whatever pops into his head and that's what, and that's what comes out. And it's honestly, it's like, it's convicting for me. Cause I'm like, man, like his little three-year-old stream of consciousness prayers are probably, probably more <laughs> profound and more personal than, than a lot of my prayers. Let's <laughs> face it. And so I've been thinking about, about that a lot because it's just a recent thing, like in the past two or three weeks, is since he actually started verbally wanting to do it on his own, it just got me thinking a lot. I was like, it's, we do so much, so many times our prayers become very, I guess maybe I'm speaking for myself, but it's very surface level or when there is a challenge or even with like gratitude, I make sure I do a gratitude prayer every morning I wake up, but even that is, that's difficult for me. And so I do still struggle with trying to just have, I guess, like you were saying, Casey, maybe like everyday conversation type prayers. Mm -hmm. sense. So I think that's something that we can all work on having a better and consistent and powerful and effective prayer life is, I think, one of the big challenges in, in, in faith in general. Yeah. No matter what, uh, because a lot of people think that you can't pray to God about the deal that you might want. Everything you... This life is for him and not you personally, because we're just of flesh and blood and we're going to die at some point. And it's like everything you do is technically for him. Like, why wouldn't you pray about it? Yeah, no, I agree. Going back with what you were saying is I was actually thinking about this morning. I was saying a prayer and I was like, I, I was like, I have nothing like, I feel like my life is so good. Like, I don't, everyone in my, my family is healthy. Work's going okay. Like, I don't have any, there's nothing to ask for. I'm happy. It's, it was like a lot of gratitude. But I was like, man, I don't have a, this long, passionate prayer because I don't have anything that I need. Like, need. like I'm really happy. And it was really more gratitude. But I was starting to think about how, like, it's easy to pray and get, like, really strong in faith when you're going through something. It's harder to stay like strong with your prayers and everything like that when things or things are going really well. Yep. And that's what I try to do is things are going and I'm going to continue doing like the gratitude prayers and stuff like that. Because lots of times that's what it is. It's I'm really happy. It's like I can put food on the table for my family and everyone's healthy. And I don't know, I guess for that, I try to think more of what other people need. Like, how can I pray for other people? But but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely, I feel like it's harder to do when things are going, when you don't need anything. Yeah, for sure. We are definitely over the time, but with respect to everybody's time, we'll just get into the wrap up here. 
Okay. We like to ask our guests to leave our audience with three actionable or practical tips about anything that we've talked about today that they could learn from. Okay. All right. Actual tips. I'll go for all three of the things. For the business side of things, I would say, you know, to besides being persistent, I don't feel like that's a very good tip. But keep being, just keep going until you find like the one, the one business that's going to work out for you. If you have found that business, I think for me, what's been really helpful is just reading. I read about three to four books a month. And that has been like huge for my growth and it's helped me in my business and my knowledge and just to continue learning. I don't know, keep, I don't know, just read more books about top business and stuff like that. That's probably what I would say is read more books. When it comes to be like the fit investor, as far as like working out, being healthy, I'm a big believer in just like getting the habit started and then improving the habit from there. So like in Atomic Habits, it talks about a guy who went to the gym every day. He drove to the gym, walked in the gym and walked out for a month straight. And he didn't actually work out in that first month, but he was able to get the habit started, like just by waking up early, going to the gym. And I feel like that's what I'm just trying to do is just start small, even just going on a walk every morning and just watching what you're eating and then just improve it from there. Get the habit started. When it comes to the religious sides of faith, yeah, I feel like it's just a always, I feel like your kind of your testimony, your faith is something that always has to be like worked on. It's, it's not something that like, oh, I have faith and then you don't work on it for years and years and it's still there. It's something they have to like continuously work on. So the same thing of setting a habit of just praying, it can be something simple of like on your way to work, mm -hmm. just have a conversation with God. And I think that helps my day tremendously just by doing that. And just, it doesn't have to be like a lot of times we go to church and we hear these, these, the type of sentences and words that sound like, I don't know, like it's this formal way of doing it, but it doesn't have to be that way. It can be just talking to a friend and just very casual. And I feel like it's actually better for me when I try to make it more casual versus like those formal prayers that I hear in church. And it, it means more for me. So I guess pray, pray often and pray casual and just doesn't have to be anything crazy, just as casual as can be. So excellent. And Brenna, since he stirred up your, uh, yeah, <laughs> your, your kindred spirit. <laughs> so I am a pizza connoisseur as well. So. Where and what type of pizza is your favorite pizza and from where and why? Oh, that's hard because I go through these kind of cravings. So I love Chicago style pizza, oh, yeah. like sausage. So it'll be sausage and cheese at the bottom with the meat, with the sauce on top. And they're like super thick. And there's only one place that I know in Southern California that does that. And we drive, so we'll drive like 30 minutes to go pick up this pizza. So that one's really good. If it's like more of just typical slice of pizza, I usually do like a sausage and mushroom. If I'm ordering with my wife, it's going to be cheese because we usually both, I know she likes cheese and I don't mind I cheese. cheese. So. <laughs> yeah. So I like cheese, but yeah, I like pizza a little, maybe a little bit too much. Thanks. I actually did a photo shoot with pizza one time, which is a different story for a different day. But yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I'm in, I'm envisioning like a. I think you believe you have a pizza Gaga, like a Lady Gaga pizza suit or something. Yeah. No, not that. No, it was just some Little Caesars pizza. So whatever. But 
That's awesome. Have, we're gonna have to find out more about that some other. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. That's too funny. Well, <laughs> thank you very much, Casey, for coming no, on story. And uh, for anybody who wants to get in touch with you or follow you, what's the best way? Yeah, so I'm really active on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, just Casey Carlin. My Instagram handle is underscore in between the two, but that's yeah, C A S E Y K A R L E N. I think I'm going to be Casey Carlin around, so pretty easy to find me on the socials. Awesome. There we go. Thank you again. And join us next week for another episode. Thank, Thank you guys for having me.